0: The new UK public procurement regulations aim to put value for money, public benefit and transparency at the heart of the system. And there's an important switch that means that buyers will no longer have to favour the most economically advantageous tender and instead consider the most advantageous tender, meaning that decisions can be based more on value, not just price, and so create additional benefits for society. But what is social value and how do you procure for it? I'm Martin Gregg and for today's podcast from the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply I'm joined by Professor Jane Lynch who's Director of the Centre of Public Value Procurement at Cardiff University. Jane, welcome to the podcast. How do we define social value?
1: How do we define social value? Have we got all afternoon on this one? I think the challenge is um, that at the moment we've got such um, a mix of different terms that various um, organisations are using both within, across public sector, private sector, third sector organisations. Let's cast our minds back to where all of this really journey started in corporate social responsibility and sustainable development. So we're going back quite a long time in history now. Quite often when you saw reports, they were really talking about how much employment was created from a contract worth X billion billion worth or so many million. How many people can we employ through that? And of those people employed, how many were from disadvantaged um, communities? Um, how many graduate schemes were there? How many apprenticeships and so on? That's not really what we're trying to get out here with the deeper societal benefit. What we're really trying to get at here is, if we're creating work opportunities through economic benefit, then actually what we're trying to do is improve um, individual well-being. And if we improve their well-being and their health. Then, of course, then then that will lead to better financial benefit later on and hopefully better productivity within the country. So I guess we've got tangled up a little bit in terms of what we mean by social. We did some research going back in 2018 um, with one of my MBA students and we came out with 18 definitions of social value then. So when you think that supply chain management's got nearly 300 definitions, I guess we've got a way to go, yet. Yeah, so the fund's just starting. But... Well,
0: let's let's say we have chosen one of your 18 definitions of, of social value. We've defined it. Yeah. We know what it looks like and we know what yeah. good looks like. How do you procure for it?
1: How do you procure for it? It's really about how we can encourage more um, local suppliers to bid for public contracts. And I see procurement reform as also an opportunity to build bridges with the small business community. Um, and in many cases, it will be about rebuilding those bridges because, um, you know, past experiences with some of the small businesses is has not been very, um, very pleasant, so it's you know very, very difficult for them to be able to um, participate in any Public sector opportunities. The message needs to be very clear that we're going through reform. We're bringing in this new bill. And one of the ideas behind it is that we want to create more opportunities for small businesses to be part of um, public sector spend. I mean, we're talking on a UK scale, three hundred billion pounds here. So, you know, for every pound that we spend, how much money do we want to be reinvested into our local economy? There is a, a very straightforward answer here, as I'm sure you're well aware. I think, you know, the the reform gives procurement professionals the flexibility to be able to um, develop lots of smaller contracts and that uh, small businesses are able to um, bid for. But nevertheless, you know, social value needs to be very clear within those tender documents in the invitations so that it's very clear about what the requirements are, what the expectations are. And I think that's where there's an awful lot of work to be done
0: so far. And do you think the changes go far enough, Jane? Because we've had um, the Social Value Act since 2013, which has placed a requirement on public sector organisations to look just beyond the financial costs.
1: We'd like to think that legislation um, forces people to act uh, in a different way. But the reality is quite different to that. And in Wales, for example, we are very proud that we've got the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which came into force in... 2015, and um, I supported the then Commissioner Sophie Howe with her procurement review. We uh, started around 2018-19 to understand the extent to which public bodies, 44 public bodies in Wales, were embedding the principles of the Wellbeing Act into their procurement. Uh-huh. And it was a really, it was quite a difficult exercise, but it just shows that put legislation in place, but doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to change behaviour. So I think you know. In many respects i kind of asked the question is procurement advancing to, at um, a greater pace than the rest of the organization i've never yet met a person working in procurement who doesn't want to do the right thing what they feel challenged by is the rest of the organization that creates the barriers such as bringing them in at the end of the conversation rather than at the start of the conversation so there isn't sufficient pipeline in procurement to be able to do the creative Stuff and to embed social value as, an, as, as required, to work with suppliers, to innovate and to come out with better solutions that really deliver much greater value. So I think this internal um, communication, I think, you know, really there's never been a more important time to think about strategy alignment. So what I'm talking about here is what the national policy is, what the regional policy is, what their objectives are. What the individual public body strategy is, and how that then align, how procurement is going to help and contribute towards all of those. Until we start getting that right, we won't see we won't see differences made at the ground level uh, in terms of what we procure and the way that we procure it. And um, so I think it isn't just of procurement. Say it's actually a much it's it's actually an organisational, cultural, and leadership change which needs to happen. Um, to enable this legislation to really take hold and and to good effect.
0: It's a really interesting conversation, isn't it? I mean, we were talking to Cabinet Office about who is it that needs to know about these changes that are coming down the track. And actually, the way you speak, Jane, it's not the procurement teams that really need to know about this. It's the rest of the organisation. Are you confident that that change is going to happen? That's a real mind shift change, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. And I think you know what it does. What this does highlight is the fact that we've been through a, a prolonged austerity, where public sector cuts are very real. Um, Headcounts are being cut in every department, not just procurement, and that's having a massive impact on um, people's individual ability to be able to think about the bigger picture. And to think about uh, what, an example of what one of the actions that we've tried to to to, to combat here is that we've been running a program called Infuse in the Cardiff Capital Region. It's stands for Innovative Future Public Services, and um, it's been a, a collaboration between, with, between Cardiff University, Nestor, and um, the Cardiff Capital Region, led by Monmouthshire Council. And we've been de- delivering for three years a series of labs on adaption Understanding change, why we need to change, how we go out, change uh, data, how do we use data for better informed decision making, Um, what types of data do we require, and all sorts of toolkits that help and support that, and we've also been delivering procurement labs. I'm going to tell you that when we went into the project three years ago, we hit the crisis and we were thinking that we were going to be delivering these procurement labs to procurement professionals. Actually, the pandemic did us some favours in many respects. Because actually, people getting procurement people to a lab session twice a week um, during a pandemic just wasn't going to happen. They are the ones at the forefront of making the changes and keeping us all safe. But what we ended up doing was delivering procurement lab sessions to non-procurement professionals across the organization. Um, And that's where I've really seen the change. So when we talk about elevating um, procurement within the organization more strategically, it's not about... Uh, Empowering the people and the leadership within procurement, I mean, there's an assumption that every organisation is a procurement team for a start. Well, that isn't true. It may be that some of them have one. I've even seen a 1.75, some have, you know, 30 odds, some have a lot more. So it's a great disparity in the public sector about what procurement actually looks like and who manages it within each of the organisations, which again is why sometimes the structure changes. And so that's one of the big reasons as to why, to try and increase that capacity, we need to make procurement better understood across the organisation so that they can really see how this social value can be embedded um, and to make meaningful change so that, you know, taxpayers' money are going to be delivering better outcomes for citizens. And I think it was Sir Michael Barber who wrote the report in 2017, and he talks about unlocking public value. What he's suggesting is that the current system is very rigid, it's it's um, you know it's outdated, and actually it's not really delivering the potential scale of what can be achieved if we do it well as a joined up organisation within and across organisations. And I think that's that's the space we need to be thinking now. So the big question that procurement professionals and you know leaders of, of public organisations need to ask is. Through our procurement, are we not just delivering social value? Are we delivering public value?
0: And economic value as well, Jane. There was yes. a report from Social Enterprise UK that identified That's right. what it called the social value gap. And it yes. talked about a value of £56 billion pounds a year. So we need to think about it in terms of economic benefit as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, so in Wales, I did some work um, going back to well, 2012, and Wales introduced um, the Community Benefits Measurement Tool, and basically contracts over initially was three million, then it was one million. I think it's applied more liberally now across any contract where they feel there's um a relevance. But when we looked at that, what but what the, what the minister was then looking for was for every pound spent, how much is reinvested into the local economy? Because we have to reinvest that local wealth keep keep the wealth creating. Many years ago, I remember there was um. Talk about the leaky bucket syndrome. You're pouring investment in, but yet you're letting that money go back out of the country. And every time you just keep doing that, you know you're not really going to get anywhere, are you? So you know we've got to we've got to patch up those leaky buckets in many ways. And I'm not I'm not for one second saying that we have to in Wales, you know, everything for Wales and Scotland, everything from Scotland and England, and everything from England. But what it, what we must look at first and foremost is that we are supporting our local businesses. It makes sense from a climate chain perspective and a carbon perspective because we're not transporting goods unnecessarily. Yeah. So, you know, really, really important to do that. And I think the figures that used to come out in the community benefits measurement tool where for every pound spent, eighty pence is reinvested into the local economy. You know, those are really fantastic figures that you need to be looking at. We need to see a lot more of that going
0: on. So if you had one big ask of of government, of public sector organisations, of councils, of tendering organisations, of those who are going to bid for contracts. What would be your big ask? How how are you going to fix that leaky bucket?
1: Well, I think the message would be very different to different people that you're talking about here. The message to the procurement um, individual is to is to make sure that procurement is understood within an organisation. Otherwise, they're going to be constantly battling against closed um, doors, as it were. Um, and I would say to policy makers, it's all well and good designing very creative policies but you have to invest time and effort in guiding people through those policies. People don't have time to read reports so a lot more hand-holding is required through change, uh, a lot more practical support is required through change, a lot more visual support is required and it needs to be well communicated. So I think you know just setting up a policy isn't enough anymore it needs to be the right policy number one for the area which is about sub- supporting but it also then you need to invest money in how that policy is going to be implemented to the, moment it. to the um suppliers there needs to be a lot more in terms of communication to the supply market about what their expectations are my concern is that the social value agenda is progressing at a rate. Supplies are not necessarily ready for. Um, you need to think about if there are supplier engagement days. Turn up to them. Go and listen. Make the time. Invest the time to go and listen to the information that's available to you. I think there's nothing more frustrating that with all the restricted resources that are available. You put on a supplier engagement day, and not many people turn up. What's well, the usual suspects that turn up? How do we reach? the companies that don't normally want to do business with the public sector for a variety of different reasons, how do we break those barriers down? And I think that, you know, that's very much a three-way journey. It's very much starts at central government and policy makers. It starts at individual public body and the people relating with the communities needs to be more joined up, working within an internal collaboration within the public sector organization, but also there needs to be a willingness um, by the supply market, that there's a massive opportunity out there for them. I don't think there's an awareness generally that these opportunities exist and about the commercial, um, opportunities that there are, um, with some of the local businesses and how they might be able to support um, the public sector. That to me is the kind of the bridging gap, the missing link that really urgently needs to happen as well as the upskilling, of course. It might sound that we're being quite pessimistic here. There's some amazing things that are going on all around us. Um, you know, I'm just writing up and some work on some, you know, exemplar case studies of best practices in social value. We've got the social value awards that happened, um, social value portal. We've got some amazing companies out there doing some really pioneering work to help and support, but sometimes knowing where to go and block ourselves, it's a lot in that environment. every day, like we are. And can be quite challenging. So we need to think about how we can improve that, I think, really, to make that information more easily accessible, more visible and, and consistent, I think is
0: the word. My thanks to Professor Jane Lynch from the Centre for Public Value Procurement at Cardiff University. If you'd like to find out more about Jane's research, there are links in the podcast description, where you can also find more information about the new public procurement regulations. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.